0: Well, good evening, New Life. How are we doing? Good. It is good to be back here. My brother Daniel is way too kind and way too much. Way too kind and way too much. Um, But, man, it is an honor and a privilege to be back with you um, again so soon. Um, As you said, I'm Brian Key, and uh, I have brought my family with me this time, so you actually know that the wife that I spoke of and the children I spoke of are real human beings. Amen. Amen. Yeah, but seriously, man, your, your pastors have been an incredible gift to our family and a gift to my life, and I'm grateful to God for their friendship and their, their brotherhood. They are a great gift to the body of Christ, so thank you for having me out again, and it is an honor to get a chance to share with you in the preaching of God's Word again and jump into your series in 1 John. If you have your Bibles, uh, would you open them up and meet me in 1 John chapter 3, 1 John chapter 3, and we will be starting our time together in verse 11. 1 John chapter 3, verse 11. If you have it, say amen. If you don't, say, wait a second, preacher. All right, Bible people are here. Good work, good work, good work. Hey, would you uh, stand with me uh, for the reading of God's word? First John, chapter 3, verse 11 reads, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers, By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God, and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the Spirit whom he has given us. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Would you pray with me? So Father, as we come to your word today, I am thankful that you are a God who speaks. And I'm thankful uh, for the correction that is in this word and for the encouragement that is in this word and the hope that is in this word that we've just read from John's letter. And God, I ask that you would do uh, a couple of things in our hearts tonight. Would you comfort us by this word tonight? Would you confront us by this word today? And would you conform us into the image of your son so that we bear the marks of love in our lives, just as he has so greatly loved us. And God, there's nothing I can do by way of eloquence or volume control to accomplish any of that work. And so I ask for nothing short of a demonstration of your spirit and power to come and do for us what I can't do. Awaken faith, awaken repentance, awaken transformation, awaken love in this room. And as I preach your word, God, I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, O God, my rock and my redeemer. And all God's people said, Amen. amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Back in 1994, the world witnessed one of the most devastating displays of human brutality that the world has ever seen. One writer says that we cannot remember Rwanda in 1994 without talking about bodies. About over a hundred day period, uh, Hutu militias killed Tutsis, resulting in, in short, just short of a million deaths, uh, depending on the numbers that you, that you find. And there's no other country that intervened at the time. Uh, this, this one uh, writer, Dr. Emmanuel Katangale, says that, that self-interest and self-preservation ruled. So. It began on April 7th, the Thursday following Easter, but just a week earlier, Monday, Thursday, it happened. Now, by the way, Rwanda was an 85% Christian nation according to the stats. It was the poster child of what missions could do. And man, don't you see how God has moved in this place? An 85% Christian nation, Monday, Thursday, they celebrate and mark. Monday comes from the, word, the Latin word mandatum, which just means commandment. It was the day that Jesus sat down, had the last supper with his disciples and gave them a new commandment. He says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I've loved you, you are also to love one another and by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Dr. Katangale says, but one week later in 94, Christians in Moranda took up machetes and looked fellow church members in the face and ended their lives. He says that the blood of tribalism seemed to flow deeper than the waters of baptism. It's devastating, right? It's devastating to to think about how how could that possibly happen in a place where so many names the name of, of Jesus, but I wish that was just the case in the church over there, but that story serves as a mirror to us See, over the last several years, I've grieved as various tribes within the body of Christ have broken fellowship with one another and harbored hatred toward one another, despite the fact that Jesus said that the world will know that you belong to me by the way that you love one another. You would think He said, "The world is going to know you're my disciples by the way that you slander and hate and gossip and speak maliciously to and malign one another. Maybe there's some of you here for whom that lovelessness is some of the reasons that you can't trust Christians. Like You're like, that is the reason that I don't trust the church. That is the reason I don't know if I can keep staying. You're wondering about the goodness of Jesus because of the pain you've experienced at the hands of other people who've named the name of Jesus. And man, if that's you, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Sorry. Love of our brothers is supposed to be a clear marker that we are the people of God. Sometimes we fail at that, and sometimes we're a mess, and sometimes we're unloving. But can I tell you, Jesus is still good, and he is still all love. And and it's my prayer. It's my prayer that you would find in this body a community marked not just by words of belief in Jesus, but. Love and fellowship and the loving character of Jesus. And, and that's actually what John is writing about in this letter. John was writing to a church that a, a group of folks who had left. They had left because of false teaching about what the Christian life was really about in belief and in practice. And it's evident because of John's writing that the false teachers that was coming in, there was aberrant teaching about who Jesus was and there was just abject lovelessness. Lovelessness happening, and it was causing uncertainty in these churches that John is writing to today. And so he's written this letter to give their hearts certainty about what belief and the true faith of Jesus is and about the character of Christian belief. And in our text today, John sets out to set the record straight and call his readers back to Christ's new commandment of love. And as we look at this text today, this is what John wants us to hear today family John wants us to hear that love is the foundation and the fundamental practice of the Christian life love is the foundation and the fundamental practice of the Christian life if I was going to tag this message I would tag it more than a feeling more than a feeling I wanna look at this text in three parts and I'll be out of your way on tonight. The first, uh, the first movement will be the diagnostic of love. And then we'll consider together the practice of love and then we'll close our time talking about the assurance of love, the diagnostic of love, the practice of love, and the assurance of love. Let's look at love's diagnostic work first. I grew up in a small town in East Texas, the same small town in East Texas that my parents grew up in, and lots of people knew my folks in that small hometown. And I would often hear from people that didn't know me personally but knew my family, they would look at me and say, you must be a Key. You must be a Key. You must be Bobby Key's boy, huh? You look like your daddy. They would say to me over and over. I wouldn't even have to know these people. You know, you look, you look just like your daddy, but it wasn't just that I looked like my daddy. See, we had values and ways of life in our family. There was just some things about the keys that lived at 372 Willie Smith Road that just mattered. My parents would say regularly, hey, this is what we're like, this is what we act like, and this is what we don't do in public. I don't care what your little friends are doing. This is how we live in this house. We had the look the look and we had shared values and practices, I looked like my daddy, and I was expected to act like my daddy. John closed the section you finished last week, in the last section by verse verse, verse 10 saying, hey, you ought to look like your daddy. He says, by this it is evident, who are children of God and who are children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. In other words, you will look and act like your father if your heart is motivated by his love. And for those who claim the name of Jesus, who who know God as father, it is non-negotiable. It is a non-negotiable marker in the life of the Christian that we live with the ethic in the presence of love. Its presence or its absence is a clear diagnosis of who we are belong to, you could say that love's presence or love's absence is a spiritual paternity test. John begins our section by saying in verse 11, for this is the message that you've heard from the beginning, that you should love one another. These false teachers were teaching another message about Jesus and attempting to redefine the faith on their own terms. Uh, They claim some kind of secret enlightenment. But when John says, This is the message you've heard from the beginning, he's letting them know that the apostolic word is the binding and authoritative word about Christ. He's saying, Hey, the first word you heard about Christ is the word meant to be followed. It is the essence of faith and the essence of Christian conduct. There is no law of abrogation. If you want to know how to live, go back to the first word you heard, he says. John calls him back to the ethic of love. And this is the first time uh, out of six times in this letter that John calls us back to Jesus's command to love one another. Now, why does he come back to it over and over again? Well, it's because your heart and my heart are like a car that's out of alignment. You ever driven a car that's out of alignment? That thing just drifts wherever it wants to go, right? And you kind of got to... Ugh. Just keep it back running straight or just go to the shop and get an alignment, right? But, but, but our hearts are like that. They drift into self-centeredness. They drift into lovelessness. Then they need to be brought back into alignment. And that's why John says over and over again, hey, hey, Christian, love one another. Love one another. John shows us why, as he moves to contrast the ethic of those who are the children of God with those who are the children of the devil. He says in verse 12, hey, yo, we shouldn't be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. Why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. So don't be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. Now, back in John chapter 8, Jesus said that the devil was a murderer from the beginning. He so he's a murderer from the beginning. And we see Cain operating as one of his children. If you were to flash all the way back to the front of your Bibles, to Genesis chapter 4, we see Cain and Abel giving a sacrifice to God. Cain's sacrifice was not accepted. Abel's sacrifice was accepted. And Cain breaks out into a rage and kills his brother. Kills his brother. John brings up Cain because Cain is, to use one scholar's words, a prototype of the world of darkness. A prototype of people who walk in darkness, of people who are children of the devil. He tells him uh, down, he says, hey, don't be surprised that the world hates you. That's, that's the way children of darkness operate. And by the way, Christian, you were one of those two. Paul makes that very clear for us in Titus chapter 3, verse 3. He says that we ourselves were once foolish and disobedient and led astray, and slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. That is the ethic of the children of darkness. That is the ethic of people that don't know Jesus. It's not surprising, he says, the children of the darkness, even those who are in our midst, act like they're children of the darkness and are marked by hatred. But what should be surprising, family, is when Christians... People who name the name of Jesus act with hatred toward one another. To go back to the Rwandan example, that 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 uh, genocide was shocking in and of itself, but what should be more shocking to us is that there were Christian brothers and sisters. Cantagale uh, says that there were people who worshipped with one another one Sunday and killed their brother and sister who they shared the common cup with the very next Sunday and sang hymns with that very next Sunday. That should be shocking to us that should be shocking to us that people that name the name of Jesus could act like that. Now at this point, you might be sitting there saying, But well, I'm not a murderer, Key. I'm good, right? I'm good. What John wants you to know is you don't have to get that far. You don't have to get to murder. Hatred is, is murder in your heart. Everyone who hates his brother, verse 15, is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in them. What John is stressing if you have ears to hear him tonight, family, is that hatred is murder in seed form. Hatred is murder in seed form. It's not actual murder, but it is the last step in the process. One scholar says that hatred is the wish that the other person was not there. It's the refusal to recognize his rights as a person, the longing that he might be dead. If I hate somebody, I'm no different from a murderer in my attitude toward him. Hatred is incompatible with spiritual life. In other words, where you witness lovelessness, it is evidence, it is a diagnosis that a person does not know the love of the Father. Now again, at this point, you might be exonerating yourself because you're like, well, Key, I'm not an outright hateful person. Well, i praise God for that. (laughs) Praise God for that. But but I want to submit to you that we are just more sophisticated than that. Your heart is just a little bit more sophisticated than just saying, I hate somebody, right? We're cuter with the things that we struggle with. Just a little bit of lying to one another. Just a little bit of slander and a little bit of gossip. Just a little bit of anger just boiling in me when I get into your presence. Some corrupting talk, bitterness, unforgiveness. Wrath. Vengeance, anger, clamor, all of those that Paul lists, by the way, in Ephesians chapter 4, all of those are acts of hatred as well, which means they're acts of murder as well. Which means that where we find those act- that activity among us, it is the activity of darkness. And if you are a follower of Jesus, you need to repent right now on the spot. Put that thing off and put on the way of love and walk as a child of the light. And this is what it means when you walk in the light. That presence of love marks us out as children of God. Look at verse 14, John says, we know, we know, somebody says, we know. Need you to have some assurance tonight. We know that we've passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Now, I love to cook. Love to cook. Fairly decent cook. (laughs) Fairly decent cook. And listen... There's, there's, my wife loves to cook with me, and there's times when you get so far into the game that you know something's done without testing that it's done, right? Like my wife can bake a cake and look at it and in the oven go like that on the top of it and say, it's done. Now, I still gotta poke the thing, right? I, I <laughs> don't trust myself, it's not done till I poke the thing. But she knows when the cake is done. You can do steak like that, you know that? You don't, have to, you don't have to stick the probe in it and drain all the good juices out of it, right? You can touch it, right? This is medium rare. This is medium, medium well, well done, or inedible, don't do that (laughs) to your steak, don't do that to your steak. But when you touch it, you know, you know, right, that it's done. John says the same thing ought to be true in your life, Christian. Someone ought to be able to touch you and say, yeah, that looks right, that feels right. That the presence of love is there. That, that feels right, right there. This person knows the living God. They have crossed over from death into life. John is letting us know that the diagnostic marker of a life that's crossed over is the presence and activity of love. Again, family, love is the foundation and the fundamental practice of the Christian life. Tertullian, the great North African apologist and church father, says that it's mainly the deeds of love so noble that lead many to put a brand upon us. They say, Look, they say, how the Christians love one another, for they themselves hate one another. And look how ready they are to die for each other, for they themselves are readier to kill each other. Is that love what your life looks like today? It's that love that set Christians in the Roman world apart in their day. And family, can I tell you something? Can I tell you something? It will be that kind of love that sets us apart in our day that is marked by self-centeredness and hostility and tribalism. It will be love, not our doctrinal statements as necessary as they are. It will be love, not our buildings and our well-crafted worship services. It will be love, not a tightening down on secondary and tertiary doctrines. be love that marks us out as Christ's disciples in this day and age. It will be love that will help us embody the unity for which Christ died. It will be love that serves as a hermeneutic of the gospel, and it will be love that lets the world know that Jesus has indeed come into the world and created a people for himself by his own love. Again, family, love is the foundation and the fundamental practice of the Christian life. It's almost, it's almost like John knew we would be comfortable staying in the world of ideas, Daniel. He, he's, if he knew, we'd be comfortable staying there. And so he moves and he begins to talk about the practice of love. Because love is, again, more than a feeling. Yeah. Practice of love. Now, we've been talking about love for a while. And it's dangerous in some ways and in some context, depending on where you come from and who you are. Because love might mean something completely different depending on who you talk to in this room, right? And right now, in this current moment, it feels like we're in this constant fight culturally de- trying to define the boundaries of what love is and what love isn't. There's this fight about the markers and the distinctions of what love is. And what's even crazier, that's what I was thinking about this, what's even crazier is that as we fight over the markers and the distinctions of love, folks who are trying to redefine love and its boundaries become unloving if you don't accept their new boundaries around love. The part of the city I pastored in, Kansas City, and the part of the city uh, I work in, in Richmond now, you see signs that say things like, love is love. Circular reasoning doesn't doesn't bring much definition so much as to declare that that what that person determines is love, must therefore be what love is. Howard Marshall says it this way, he says, the word love can have a variety of meanings and it is necessary to know exactly what any given writer means by it. Most people associate Christianity with the command to love, and so they think that they know all about Christianity when they've understood its teaching in terms of their own concept of love. Well, family, John must have known we were going to fight about words. Must have known. And so he starts verse 16 with these words. He says, by this we know love. Helpful. And it's more than a feeling. By this we know love, that he, Christ, laid down his lives for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. I've said a couple times that love is the foundation and the fundamental practice of the Christian life. That first part of that sentence is the foundation that Jesus laid down his life for us. In that statement, John's letting us know that the shape of love is cruciform. It's cruciform, which is what Jesus and the New Testament authors have been trying to tell us the whole time. By the way, Jesus says, "Hey, you know, you know that I love my sheep because I'm laying down my life for them." In John chapter ten, he says in John chapter fifteen, verse thirteen, that greater love has no one than this: that someone lay down his life for his friends. Paul says over in Romans chapter five, verses seven and eight, for, "One will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps a good person, one would even dare to die. But God shows His love for us in this, and that while we were still while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, not when you were lovable, not when you were worthy of love, but when you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. Love, defined by Christ's saving work on our behalf, is self-sacrifice for the good of another. Self-sacrifice for the good of another. Christ's death... His burial and his resurrection is the ultimate revelation of self-sacrificial love for the benefit of another. And if you're here, family, and you're not a follower of Jesus today, by the way, let me just stop and say this right now. If you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, it will not serve you to leave here and go try to be more loving. The best thing you can do today is to turn your life over to Jesus right now and know his love that will never ever let you go, to love his self-sacrifice for your benefit, for your salvation, so that you can know the grace of God, so that you can know the forgiveness of God, so that you could know the love of God now and forever, and you don't have to do anything to earn it. All you have to do All you have to do is accept that he's done the work for you by faith. Family, it wasn't just meant to be a revelation to us, by the way. God intends for that self-sacrifice to be an example for us and a measurement by which we compare every other thing that is called love in our world. Notice he didn't just say, though, by this we know love. He knows that we're too comfortable with the idea of love. Like, man, that's a good idea. We should sac- sacrifice ourselves for the benefit of others. That's a good idea. That's something to pontificate about. That's something to write some blog posts about but never practice. That's something that we're, we're very good at being hearers of the word, right, but not very good at being doers of the word. He says, by this we know love. And then he moves on and essentially says, by this we show love we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. And because, God, because John is a, a good pastor and knows that we'll come up with ways to get out of all kinds of things if we possibly can, right? He gives us a direct example that pins us to the wall in verse 17. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or in talk, but in deed and in truth. John paints a picture here that one writer says, puts us in a position of inescapable responsibility. Inescapable responsibility, and this inescapable responsibility requires immediate readiness and immediate response. He's getting in our face, isn't he? He's getting in our face, isn't he? See, because if we're honest, and maybe it's just me, Love is cool as long as it doesn't require sacrifice. I'm comfortable if it's within certain boundaries, right? But the activity, here's the difficulty. We, we agree that we should be self sacrificial I just don't be the, wanna be the one to sacrifice, right? We're so self-centered that we often don't even have space in our souls to consider the needs of other people. Or, or, or we love the world so much That we think, man, if I give this away, man, I'm going to miss out on fill in the blank. I mean, I earned this, right? I deserve to keep this and use it for my own good. Like, I I shouldn't have to give this up for someone else. I worked for this. Think about that weekend that you worked so hard to earn, but your buddy needs some help over the weekend. And you're like, oh, but I worked so hard all 60 hours this week. I deserve this. But your brother's in need, and you're the one with the strength to do it to help them deal with it. We're like the lawyer in Luke chapter 10, who asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? When Jesus talks about love your neighbor as yourself, he says, well, who's my, my neighbor? And he gives a story, you, some of you probably know the story of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10. Jesus tells the story of a man who fell among robbers on the road to Jericho, was beaten up, robbed, left for dead, and a priest showed up. Surely the man of God will do something. And the priest shows up, sees him, and is like, not today. And a Levite shows up, another man of God, and says, not today. But a Samaritan shows up, that outsider, that half-breed, that uh, one that we don't like to talk about or look at. He shows up. He sees a man in need, and he puts himself in danger because he didn't stop to think, I wonder if the thieves are still here waiting on me to help him. He puts himself in danger, loads him up on his own beast, takes him to an inn, and takes care of him, binds his wounds, and says to the innkeeper, hey, I'll pay you whatever I owe when I come back. Take care of him and nurse him back to health. And Jesus says, that is what neighbor love looks like. That's what neighbor love looks like. Family, we have opportunities to love all around us all the time. Opportunities to love our brothers and sisters all around. Do you know that there is someone in this room right now probably who needs food on their table? They won't tell you, maybe, but they need food on their table right now. Do you know that there's someone in this room right now who maybe needs some clothing for their kids? They can't afford it this year as they get ready to go into the summer and go into another school year. Or maybe there's someone here who needs financial help or maybe just a job opportunity. Man, can you just give them a chance to go make some money? There's been times when folks have shown up at our door when we were in need. I've gotten envelopes in my mailbox when we were dead broke, and people must have known it. Because I got money in an envelope that said, the Lord told me this was yours the Lord told me this was yours. Uh, We've we've had things happen where where folks have shown up with meals at our door. Or we've had folks who when we were dealing with and caring for our our oldest daughter who uh, had long-term illness, we were were struggling. And we had people who would come by, walk up our stairs, grab our laundry, and walk out the front door. Because they knew that we did not have time or capacity even to think about washing those dirty drawers. We had people who showed up with sandwiches, left work because they said, I knew you'd probably need some lunch today and dropped off a meal for my wife. Or who stopped by and said to my wife, hey, go take a shower. I know you hadn't been able to do that today, taking care of your little girl. Tangible sacrifices, tangible ways. Family, I serve, give you another example. I serve inner city church planters. And all over this country right now, there's churches who are serving in places of great need. And, but they, they don't have the money to make budget every year. Like, and I mean like small kind of budget. Like the kind of budget that's probably an income in your house for their church. And I've seen churches say, hey, you know what? We're adopting you. And we're going to make sure that vital ministry continues in that place because those people need the witness of the church and they need to see the love of God. When you see your brother in need and you have the means to do something about it, let us not love in word and talk, but in deed and truth, family. Too often, man, we have these preconceived boundaries around what love is and who I'm responsible to love. And we don't mind loving those within our tribe. We don't mind loving those who are our favorites. We don't mind loving those when it's comfortable to us. But man, if you fall outside those lines, we get passed by on the other side syndrome so fast, don't we, so fast. We act like we don't see, because I don't know if that person falls within the boundaries of love for me today. It might cost too much. But man, I was so convicted looking at this text and considering it this week that even when we see need around us, family, we wait for folks to ask, don't we? We wait for folks to ask for it. Or, or when, we, when they do ask, we debate about their worthiness to receive our need. Or are they among the deserving poor in our congregation? Or we debate about what it's going to cost uh, if, uh, if we're even willing to sacrifice. Listen, man, thoughtfulness and stewardship are very important. But more often than not, I ask questions of thoughtfulness and stewardship when I just want an excuse to get out of it. Family, can you imagine what kind of jam you would be in? Can you imagine what kind of jam you would be in if Jesus would have waited for the day that you said, I think I need somebody to save me? You never would have. You never, ever would have. Can you imagine what kind of jam you would be in if, if Jesus had said, man, I, I just don't know if they're deserving of my self-sacrifice? Can you imagine what kind of jam you would be in if he sat there and debated what it was going to cost him to show his love? And he said, you know what? I'm not willing to pay that cost today. But you know, if you know how undeserving you were, and if you know how hostile to God you were, and if you know how much that cost was for you to be able to experience the love of God, the only reason you're able to know the grace of God and know the love of God is because Jesus looked at you and said, he's worth it and she's worth it. And so he laid down his life for you. And if you know that love, you know that love, Paul will tell you to put on the mind of Christ, to, to have the heart of Christ, to look around and pray that God gives you the eyes of Christ for the people around you, and then consider the people as more important than your own self-sacrifice, worthy of your self-sacrifice, and then act in ways to show them love, because Christian love is more than a feeling. Love is the foundation and fundamental practice of the Christian life. And maybe you're sitting there today and like, Key, I don't know about practical ways. Like, what might love look like? Go home, get on your device, your phone, your tablet, your computer, whatever you have, and Google the love, the one another statements of the New Testament. Some very tangible ways that are laid out across the New Testament of ways that we can love and serve and give our lives sacrificially for one another. The kind of stuff that would keep us busy into eternity, loving one another. The kind of stuff that if it was present in the New Life family and present in the body of Christ more broadly, man, you wouldn't be able to tell us anything. And the world would say, man, that Jesus must be real, family, if... If you've been born into the family of God through the loving self-sacrifice of Jesus, then to look like your daddy, to embody the family values, looks like living a life of sacrificial love. I I got to move. I got to move. I want to close with just talking about the assurance of love here. The assurance of love. John drops us off and he says in verse 19 that, By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. John's been talking about what it means, by the way, to live like children of light and children of darkness. And he wants his readers to be clear and to know where they stand. And so in verse 19, he starts off and says, hey, you'll know, you'll know that you know the sacrificial love of God if love of brothers is actually present. But... He does something here that's really pastorally helpful, I think, I think. For whatever reason, I have this overly scrupulous way of looking at myself at times and I wonder like, man, did I love enough, did I do enough, did I, I don't feel like I did enough, and if I sinned, did I repent well enough, and was it enough, and was it enough, and was it enough, and my heart begins to try to condemn me. But what John, John knows that we're like that. (laughs) John knows that our hearts might condemn us, and we might stop and think, like, am I actually a child of life? Like, I'm not doing this perfectly. I'm not doing this well. But, family, we need to hear and receive this word today that whenever our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart. His word about us matters more than what my fickle heart says about me. And you know what his judgment is over you if you're in Christ Jesus? Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So where my heart says, Key, you haven't done enough, you haven't done enough, you haven't done enough, I probably haven't. But you know what I can do? I can repent. I can confess my sins and my God is faithful and just to forgive me my sins and cleanse me from all unrighteousness and say over my life, still no condemnation. John's told us that over and over again. And family, God's word to our heart is a word of love that sets us free and loose to love others. He says it's because you can run into God's presence in prayer and you can know that you can because you've kept his commandments. What's his commandments? To believe in his son Jesus and to love one another. And to love one another, he says down in verse 23. And he says that whoever keeps his commandments, verse 24, abides in God and God in them. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. We can walk in assurance of his love if we've trusted Jesus to save us and cleanse us from all unrighteous. We can walk in assurance of love, in assurance that we are in God's love if we have love for our brothers and family. Listen to me. Here's a beautiful benefit of this last, this last verse in this text. I don't have time to preach it, but here's the snippet. He says, you've got the spirit of God abiding in you. You know evidence of the Spirit of God's activity in your life? He said your, the commandment that you were meant to follow is to lo- believe in the Lord Jesus, right? And to love your brothers. Paul tells us in 1 first, in first Corinthians chapter 12 that only those who've been moved on by the Spirit of God can say Jesus is Lord. You wanna know if the activity of the Spirit's evident and with you right now? You declare Jesus is Lord, the Spirit's in you. There's an assurance of love. And you wanna know that love is, that, God, that you've known God's love, you wanna be assured of it? Is there love for the brothers in your life? By the way, you read Galatians chapter 5, and love is the first listed fruit and activity of the Spirit in the life of the Christian. We can have assurance of the love of God because the activity of the Spirit of God is the only thing that can make us say Jesus is Lord and the only thing that helps us to love our Brothers and sisters in Christ, love is the marker of the Christian life family. We can walk in love because of the presence and power of the Spirit of God who has awakened us to the love that God's shown to us in the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was the greatest demonstration of love that this world has ever seen. He allowed himself to be beaten and scourged and and treated as a common criminal and hung up on a cross for your sins and for mine. And he bore the wrath of God for your sins and mine. And he died in our place to pay the penalty for our sins. And not only that, he was raised to new life on that third day, raised for our justification. And right now, he lives and reigns forevermore above every rule and authority and every name that has been named and he rules over them in love for his people and all he will ever do is do you good and all he is going to do in the future is continue to show his love and his goodness into all eternity and bring you all the way into the presence of God. That is a love, family, that will not let you go. That love is the foundation of the Christian life and that love is what's going to produce in you a life of love for your brothers, and for your sisters. If you're here tonight and you don't know that love, man, let me just say tonight, let tonight be the day of salvation. Like, let tonight be the night that you say, hey Jesus, you're real, you died for me, and I trust you as my Lord. Let tonight be that night. And if you're here tonight, and maybe your love is not something that's present and active in your life, but you name the name of Jesus, you get to do the work tonight to just repent. (laughs) To just trust Jesus and say, God, would you help me to experience that love? And would you pour it out yet again in and through me in this place right now? We're going to come. The van's going to come, and, and we're going to have some time to respond. Pastor Daniel's going to come up, but I'm going to pray. Um, and we're going to respond to the love of God and sing about the love of God and delight in the love of God together. Father, we give you thanks for your word. We give you thanks for the confidence that we have in Jesus. We give you thanks that we have known your love because of Jesus. And God, I ask that you would um, make us aware in deeper ways of your love. And God, I ask that you would move in ways that make us aware of needs in this body right here, right now. And give us your eyes and give us your heart and motivate us and empower us with the activity of love. Help us to remember that love is the foundation and the fundamental practice of the Christian life, and make us a people who live like that. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray and ask it all. Amen. Church, would you stand with me tonight? Our communion servers, I'm gonna call you forward, and what we're gonna do is we're gonna come through the room, and we're gonna receive the communion elements and go back to your seat and hold them there. We're gonna sing this song, Lord, I need you. And that's the first response, repentance tonight, calling on the name of Jesus. Lord, I need you. Jesus, you're the one. You're the one who sacrificed it all. And so come to the room, grab your communion elements. If you're not able to physically come to the room, tap your neighbor, they'll bring you an extra. But let's worship the Lord here. I want you right now to call on the name of Jesus as we sing, Lord, I need you. And here in just a minute, I'll come back and we'll receive communion together. Come on through the room as we worship the Lord.